And time for another edition of Wednesdays with Walton. Brian Walton, our guest here on the Scoops Network. It's presented by Lou Fuse Automotive Network, as well as the Ascension Charity Classic. Brian Walton, all things future stars of the Cardinals. Kind of fun to talk about the prospects. And here we are, closing in on spring training. I know you'll be down there a couple of times. And uh, I guess the news since we last talked is, as they kind of check their list this offseason of things to get done, let's talk about the coaching staffs. Uh, throughout the card system. Yeah, we've seen the Cardinals do a good job of promoting, you know, within their system. So, for example, um, Brendan Allen, who was the hitting coach at Memphis, moved up to St. Louis this year. And, but they've got a lot of continuity on the management side. All the all the managers at the um, minor league system are back for another year. And that's Ben Johnson at Memphis, Jose LaHare at Springfield, Patrick Anderson and Gary Kendall at the two uh, A clubs, Roberto Espinosa in the FCL, and Fry Paniche, who's been a long time in the Dominican Summer League. So, a lot of continuity there in the management side, but a lot of changes on the hitting coach side. So a uh, new hitting coach, of course, at uh, Memphis, but also uh, a new hitting coach at Springfield So and a new hitting coach at Peoria. So really the top three levels of the system uh, will be having new hitting uh, coaches this year, Howie Clark, Brock Hammett, and Casey Chenoweth, respectively. So um, there's, you know, getting new ideas and new um, people in, which is a great idea. Now, in addition to the manager, hitting coach, and pitching coach in the minor leagues, they have what's called a fourth coach. And the fourth coach is a, is a coach that is involved in all aspects of preparation, tends to bring in some of the data more, but also will throw batting practices and basically do any job required. And that's a full-time job. And a lot of attention was drawn. Uh, Tina or Christina Whitlock, uh, who was in the system before, is going to be the first uniform female full-time coach in the system. And Christina Whitlock will be the fourth coach at Peoria. Then, in addition to those four positions, there's a fifth position, which is called affiliate fellow. And these are basically young uh, coaches who are just starting in the system. And they give the Cardinals give them the opportunity to learn all aspects of coaching, scouting, uh, and, and the data behind all that. And uh, they, some of them go on to join the system. Some of them go on to become scouts or to do other things in baseball. So, in, so there's five coaches at the AAA level plus a strength and conditioning coach as well as a trainer. So, you know, there's a significant investment, seven individuals full-time on the part of the Cardinals at each level of the minor league system this year. Well, and the fact that there's all those new hitting coaches, is that related to the fact that Jeff Albert's no longer here? Because we always heard that, his beliefs were going to be spread system-wide, the hitting approach. Is is that connected, or is it just coincidence? I Well, as I said, one of the you know spots opened up because of a, a promotion to St. Louis, but I think it's important to understand that Russ Steinhorn, who's the minor league hitting coordinator, was a very, very close uh, associate of Jeff Albert. And, you know, the belief is that the, the work that was done prior to that will continue, you know, under Turner Ward. So I don't think there's any sort of a revolutionary thing, but it's just, you know, in a given year, there's more turnover sometimes at some levels than others. I, I did. I, I kind of glossed over the fact that the, the pitching coaches are really all pretty much the same. I think only one change. And on, on the major league side, we had talked a bit about Matt Holliday and what he brings to the table, even though he wasn't the hitting coach, but he could lend some advice. Then of course he changed his mind, decided not to do it, which, did seem understandable, and I, slightly off topic for us, but I think Joe McEwing was about as qualified a coach as you could find. I think they sort of lucked into somebody very qualified that was out there on the open market. Yeah, Joe McEwing, of course, folks know him from his time as Super Joe with the Cardinals. Uh, had a good major league career, a guy that you know was one of those players that got the most out of his talent, and then uh, moved into the coaching ranks. And 
for a long, long time had been a bench coach and a base coach in Chicago. And so he was Tony LaRusso's, you know, one of Tony LaRusso's confidants there. But when Tony uh, decided to retire for a second time now because of his health, uh, Joe McEwing was kind of the odd man out. And he had interviewed for managerial positions in the past. Uh, but, you know, I was really impressed. I had not really spoke to Joe uh, or, or heard or spent much time with him until winter warm up. And you could just see not only his excitement and enthusiasm for the job, but just the fact that he was so happy to be back with the Cardinals and he wants to fit in and help any way he can. And, you know, when a guy like that comes in and, you know, puts whatever ego he has aside for the good of the organization, you just, I, I felt really good about that. I felt really, really positive about Joe McEwing after uh, the discussion at winter warmup. All right. Now a couple of weeks out for spring training. Uh, I know you'll make a couple of trips down there again, thecardinalnation.com to get all this great information. And Brian, when we talk about prospects, there's, you know, there's the headliners, the big names. What about a non-roster invitee? What exactly does that mean? And I guess it doesn't insinuate that they're not a big name, but explain the difference there. Yeah, that's a, a good point, Martin. The, the, the Cardinals, every major league team has what's called a 40 man roster. And these are the players that are closest to the major leagues. Um, and those are typically the most experienced players. And, of course, there's only 26 men who open the season on the roster. So that means 14 members of the 40-man roster will be, you know, down in the minor leagues. And there's a lot of guys, you know, in that role, guys that you've seen back and forth in St. Louis, say, uh, you know, Matthew Libertor uh, and Alec Burleson, guys who may or may not make the roster but are big contributors. But then you kind of have the next wave of players. And these are the younger players who haven't yet been required to be put on the 40-man roster. Um, and these are players that are going to come to camp, two dozen player, two dozen non-roster invitees are invited to camp. So you can do the math, 40 plus 24, 64 players are going to be in camp. And these 24 non-roster invitees include a number of the top prospects in the system, Jordan Walker, Michael McGreevy, Tink Hentz, Mason Wynn. So these are guys, you know, these are guys that, may or may not make the – probably won't make the team right away, although certainly Walker, there's a chance. But guys are going to be knocking on the door. And so they come to camp as a non-roster invitee with with the opportunity to come and soak up everything there is about being around the veterans, being around the major league clubs, and frankly for the major league coaches to get a good look at these young players in action because most of them will be with St. Louis at some point in time in the future. And it's sort of telling. I remember looking at the groups they'll put together, like a hitting group, and you know, it'd be fun to see, like, do they stick Jordan Walker in a group with Goldschmidt or Arenado? I feel like they do that by design. Absolutely. They definitely want every opportunity for the end. You know, the catchers, you know, uh, when Yachty was, of course, with the club, you know, he would have special meetings with the young catchers because with so many pitchers in Major League Camp, they have to have a lot of catchers just to catch all those pitchers. And some of the catchers are guys that frankly aren't anywhere near being a Major League prospect yet. But they get that opportunity. You know, there's going to be six non-roster invitee catchers in camp, in addition to the three catchers that are on the roster. So, you know, it'll be nice to see Wilson Contreras come in, and maybe he'll be able to, you know, provide a leadership role for some of these young catchers as well. And it's always fun to hear veterans also comment on these young kids because, for the most part, they they haven't seen them play because they're busy at the same time. I can picture Wainwright saying, "Man, that kid over there, he's a stud." Like it's kind of fun for the old guys to see the young guys, you know, right next to them. And, and it's a, you know, it's a great opportunity, not only formally on the field, but informally in the clubhouse, in the dugout, you know, for, a, for, for, and we saw a lot of evidence of this last year for a, 
um, Juan Yepes to to side, you know, slip up to the side of Albert Pujols and say, "Hey, Albert, you know, what would you do in this situation against this pitcher?" And that those kind of discussions happen all the time. And the more organic those discussions can be, you know, the better off these players are going to be prepared for when they are called upon. Because you know, as much as you want to plan an injury here or a trade here or something, you know, a player gets the call and next thing before he knows it, you know, he's in the major leagues without a lot of time to prepare. So you got to do all this, you know, the more you do up front to get ready, not only for the physical part, but also the mental part, the preparation part of the game. And the, and the Cardinals have been very lucky that they've had these veterans uh, to, you know, to work with the young players. Now that's a great point about last year because we saw it play out in St. Louis Juan Yepes and Albert were really close. Albert clearly took him under his wing, uh, but that's a bond that started to, to happen late in spring. I know Albert got there late, but clearly they connected in Jupiter before it translated to St. Louis. And maybe a thought on Yepes because I almost he had the biggest hit of the postseason that would have been very memorable had that series not turned the other way. Uh, I don't feel like he gets talked about very much. Well, you know, he's he's sort of graduated from prospect list, so he's not, you know, he's not on our prospect list this year. But you're talking about a right-handed batter, you know, with power, and you know, what happened, what hasn't happened this year yet, which is what happened last year. If folks remember, the Cardinals roster seemed to be pretty well set with these young players in leadership roles, and then late on in March, they brought in uh, both Albert and Corey Dickerson in the outfield. And so while there was certainly reasons to bring in those players and bringing in Albert was a stroke of genius, as it turned out, those two guys being there bumped two young guys, you know, off the roster. And so not only off the roster, but then of course they don't get the at-bats that come with it. But the Cardinals still worked around that. I, I, I was really surprised to look at the numbers um, that in 2021, only five players made their major league debut with St. Louis, but in 2020. Two, 13 players played their first game in the major leagues. So as much as I'm saying, oh, my gosh, they, they signed these two veterans and they blocked everybody, the fact is we saw Nolan Gorman, we saw Yepes, we saw Donovan, we saw Palante, right? All those guys, and we saw Burleson and Herrera and Libertor and Thompson. You know, all those guys found a way during the course of the long season to get up and contribute. Martin Kilquin alongside Brian Walton. It's Wednesdays with Walton here on the Scoops Network, presented by Lou Fuse Automotive as well as the Ascension Charity Classic. All of Brian's great information. Read more at thecardinalnation.com. Sort of a topic that's fun to kick around, I guess, all the time is some of the players we've talked up but didn't live up to the hype, and maybe some of the prospects who who did do great things. Give me a couple of names that come to mind when, when I, they're like we just thought they were going to be stars and it just didn't pan out. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I, I, every year I come out with a, a book called The Cardinal Nation Prospect Guide, and the last couple sections of it are the key international signings that the organization has made over the last couple of decades and how they've done in the recent drafts. And, you know, you look back and the Cardinals have spent a lot. The 2016-17 year, they spent um, triple the amount they normally spend in the international market. They spent $2.35 million on an outfielder from Cuba named Jonathan Machado, a million and a half on an outfielder from Venezuela named Victor Garcia. Uh, 1.9 million on Johan Oviedo, who was who you know who did you know reach the major leagues and was a successful player. So there's you know there's three or four million there you know, blown on young gamble you know teen gambles on 16 year olds uh, from you know international ball that didn't figure out. Um, but in the drafts, you know there are guys Rob Kaminsky was a, the first rounder uh, in 2013, never really came to pass. Um, uh, um, the draft that Jake Woodford joined the organization. 
and and Bader and Hicks and DeYoung and Helsley all came in. The first pick in that draft was an outfielder named Nick Plummer. And Nick Plummer got $2.1 million to sign and, you know, didn't make it. So, you know, even in the draft, there are gambles that are taken. Griffin Roberts in 2018 uh, out of Wake Forest got $1.6 million to sign, and he's kind of stuck at double-A, first rounder. So, you know, as much as we talk about prospects and, you know, get excited about it, there are guys that have, you know, gotten a lot of money. Uh, Trey John Flesher in 2019, a million and a half, and is, you know, still back in rookie ball. So, you know, you have to keep your expectations reasonable when you look at a draft of 2019, for example, and say, hey, we got Zach Thompson, uh, we got Andre Pallante, we got Connor Thomas. That's pretty good. And yeah, there are always guys that, that are going to fall by the wayside. That's just the way it is. And it's funny you mentioned Nick Plummer. I went up at some point, Reyes, Alex Reyes was in Peoria on one of his, you know, minor league uh, rehab starts. We go up there to get him. Game ends. And all the young guys are heading out to their cars. Well, a bunch of them just kind of pile into one guy's car. And maybe it's a 10-year-old Jeep. And then somebody else is you – know, nobody's driving a Pinto. But everybody's kind of got these old beat-up cars or just young guys trying to make it. And then some young guy hops into, like, this giant Mercedes. And I'm like, okay, that's what happens when you're the first-round pick. Even though you're fighting your way through A-ball, it was Nick Plummer. And he, the guy with the fanciest car, you can always pick out. My point is you go into the parking lot – you could tell right away who the first-round picks were. Whether they made it to the big leagues or not, they got some money. But I will tell you, on the, on the other hand, the other side of the coin, uh, I've never seen any evidence on the, you know, in terms of the coaching and the player development staff that they treat those players any differently. Right. I mean, they have, they have to come in and put their work and earn playing time and uh, just like everybody else. Now, they might give a guy a little longer rope because, you know, he had – Let's face it, Nick Plummer had tremendous talent or he wouldn't have been a first rounder. And just for whatever reason, he, you know, wasn't able to put it together as a professional. Uh, but it doesn't mean that he, you know, he wasn't a reasonable. And, you know, Delvin Perez is another one, right? Shortstop, first rounder in 2016, uh, picked before Dylan Carlson. And, you know, tremendous defensive skills, but just couldn't figure out the the, the bat side. And he's, you know, going to play in the minor leagues in the Yankee system this year. And, you, you know, you pull for Delvin Perez to find some way to, to get a few major league at bats here and there, but it was a you know it was a washout first rounder. Fun time of year with spring trading about to start. Brian, tell folks what's up and uh, up and running right now at your website. Well, the Cardinal Nation, we're, we've uh, unveiled our top fifty prospects, and everybody can come and see the list. And a number of the articles are free. Uh, most uh, all of them you, to see them all, you have to be a subscriber. And uh, we're now doing the analysis phase where I go through a, a lot of work analyzing the ages of the prospects, the levels of the prospects, how they came into the organization to kind of understand the dynamics of what's happening in the system. We've seen the Cardinals invest heavily in pitching in the drafts the last couple of years. And the pitters that they that they got before that have now reached the majors. So this year, you know, what are they going to do? So a lot of in-depth information beyond just names and skills and tools. And then that information will be packed in our 2023 prospect guide that I'm working on that uh, will be available for pre-sales in a couple of weeks. That'll be available by spring training, both in a book form as well as PDF form. Brian, great to catch up and uh, looking forward to spring training. It's almost here. See you in Florida. Well, I'll see you next week. <laughs>